You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Philly's Backstage. Oh, John, you can even hear it in my voice. Can I you can. tell? <laughs> Hi, everybody. It's time for going. John Frazier. Uh, that's right, because, John, last time we recorded a podcast, it was September 21st. We had the great Rico Bronia, and I heard from so many people, actually, who said, oh, you know, the Rico thing was great. And that era, he was Rico. like a lot of their, a lot of people's favorite player. Yes. He, could pick it at first base. He saw the highlights when we yeah. honored Scott Rowland. Right. You forget how good he is. And then you see all these highlights, Scott firing it over, but then Rico just like swipe, boom, right, yeah. right in his glove. By the way, yeah, that it, my point was going to be, hey, September 21st was the last time we recorded. A lot has happened, and including the Scott Rowland night, exactly. And, man, that highlight package, it's like it, every play is spectacular. You forget how great of a defensive third baseman. Yeah, and I talked to a lot of his teammates, Kevin Sefcik, Kevin Jordan, Mike Lieberthal, Bobby Abreu. They are all, you know, we were all, uh, everybody was mingling with everybody. And yeah. and to a man, obviously, the, the conversation was towards Scott Rowland, and they're saying they've just never seen anybody like that. I mean, just yeah. someone that that size right. that could get down that low and someone that athletic, someone who had the instincts, especially on the base paths. Yeah. I mean, he was a great base runner because he had great baseball instincts right yeah. and he was fast but he was he more importantly he just built like a linebacker you know it's funny seeing these highlights like we don't see too many highlights from that era of, ba- of phillies baseball well, because the yeah, teams was, weren't great there wasn't a lot of team highlights right there. and so then you know starting 2007 certainly eight and run they're the highlights we see so you forget oh wow right scott Rowan, holy smokes and great speech my favorite part of it yeah. was uh, favorite part, I'm sure, it was for you. Yes, because uh, we all love Mr. Giles. Uh, but when Bill Giles was uh, in the front row with all the former players, all his teammates, uh, and Scott in the middle of his speech, and this was not planned. This was all ad lib. And Scott, I guess, noticed Mr. Giles and came over and gave him a big hug and interrupted his speech. Whenever they gave him a hug, said, "Sorry about that. My mom, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. corresponds with Mr. Giles, and I she'd be upset if I didn't go and say hi." Yeah, I mean, uh, great moment, and and also the players we brought back uh, for for that night w- was great. Did you get up into the uh, owners box? To, I did. Uh, yep. Say hi to the guys. Talked to a lot what? of the guys. Yeah, because they were, as you know, like I started in '94, and right. these guys, a lot of a lot of them started. Summer 94, 95, 96, somewhere around there. So that's when I was closer in age to these guys and, and yeah. formed really great relationships with, again, Kevin Sefcik and Kevin Jordan and uh, Wayne Gomes and all those guys. It was uh, Gary Bennett. Uh, really good. It was, it was fun seeing those guys. Who's the guy you hadn't seen? Uh, Kevin Sefcik. I, I haven't seen Kevin Sefcik since. He had a health issue. He had right? a health issue, yep. Uh, yeah. He's fine now, recovered. A heart issue. And yeah. um, But, yes, uh, I haven't seen him since uh, – what. I don't even know if I've seen Gary Bennett since. Uh, you go play pickleball or something with Gary Bennett. I played, I played, I played platform tennis with him. Uh, platform tennis, paddle tennis is big in Chicago where huh. Gary lives, and he plays in a competitive league. And I knew that through Facebook, and then I, I've been playing for the last eight, nine years. So I brought him out to my club and brought a former pro and somebody else. We had a really good two yeah. hours. And here uh, you hadn't seen him in a long time. So. I hadn't. Well, we've communicated via Facebook, but uh, and we've talked, but – 
Yeah, so it's the first time I've seen him in person was when, yeah. he, when he stepped on the paddle court. And you guys are playing paddle ball. Yeah, I love great. it. Nice. Well, that was a great night. And then that went into Fan Appreciation Day, which, of course, is always great. And then that Tuesday, the 26th, we clinched a walk-off clinch against the uh, Buckos. It was great, uh, especially in its fashion. when uh, Because by clinching the, if I remember correctly, the game-winning run was uh, scored by a guy who was uh, designated for assignment by the worst team in baseball, by the A's, Christian Pache. Yeah. The guy with the game-winning hit was a guy who spent most of his uh, year, season, in double-A uh, with a fight in Phil's, Redding. Uh, yep. Redding. And then um, the guy who got the win was a guy who only got uh, only was brought up to the majors because it was a guy that threw unbelievable batting practice to Bryce Harper uh, right. when he was going through his rehab. And yep. Bryce Harper said to the staff, you got to sign this guy. I can't even sure. see this guy's stuff. He's Jeff Hoffman. Hoffman's so, been awesome. So isn't that funny? That's that's baseball in a nutshell, mm. and especially a team that's doing well. When you have those three guys that, you know, if you said in the beginning of the year in spring training mm. that in the clinching game uh, they're going to rely on Jeff Hoffman, Christian Pache, <laughs> and Johan Rojas, you would be looking at. But that's what great teams do. That's what championships do, uh, teams do, John. They, uh, they use the whole roster you know the, it's a it's that mix of veterans and you know uh rookies and guys who just came out of nowhere who are contributing it's awesome yep and uh we saw the celebration yes. uh which was great uh you <laughs> it saw just kept on going it just kept on going and it just brought back memories we hadn't hit the playoffs yet but it brought back memories of the playoffs last year you see garrett stubbs who was the mvp of the celebration along with uh i know brandon marsh rode the Mechanical bull over Xfinity Live. Yeah. Uh, and then the funny thing is the hangover game, I guess people were calling it. Right. And what happens? Garrett Stubbs in the lineup uh, the next day. Yep. And Garrett Stubbs hits his first home run of the season. I Incredible. mean, you can't script this out, right? No. That's um, when you start thinking, okay, this could be our year again when, when things like that happen. We say, when uh, we won, I think um, – uh, there was an interview on the field. They dumped the bottle or the, uh, you know, the bucket of water on uh, Rojas. But then dancing on my own comes on. Were you a little surprised? I that, was like, the team is now completely surprised because we were to told song? we yeah. were told early in the year that they're done with it. That, right. that that they don't want. You know, they love the song obviously, but they wanted to go to the next chapter and come up. And it wasn't until that there must have been like a day or two before that where somebody and I'm sh- I don't know if it was communicated. I'm sure Stubbs or Harper or somebody said, yeah. you know what, let's bring that back. It was communicated. Uh, and I'm yes. kind of glad. I got to say, I was shocked when I heard it. But then I was, you know what, I, I, it just brings back such great memories yeah, yeah. for everybody. So even when you hear it, you just, you expect it. And, and it has just that, you, you it, it just connotates such positive vibes when you hear that song. Yeah. And they, uh, they definitely have a, a, a new playlist when we win games in the clubhouse. So there are a couple other songs. Do you know any of the more current songs that they're, they've really attached themselves to this this year no, or not? No, come okay. on, Tom. I'm, I'm yeah. like you. It's not the Almond Brothers? No, if it's, it's the Almond Brothers. not Bruce, uh, no, right. you know, <laughs> right. or one of your... Uh, yeah, I got one of my... Jason Isbell or... Yeah, one of these groups I'd never heard of. Yeah, Jayhawks, no. it's no. But it was funny. You know, so we had a party in the executive dining room from for front office employees, which is always really nice. Everybody's having a good time, but they have the TV screens going the whole time. John, we were up there for like an hour, and I'm looking at the TV screens, and, and the guys are still jumping around and spraying champagne and beer everywhere. It's like, that, that party in the clubhouse went on for a while. Well, and then Rob Thompson, as you know, came up and, yes. and spoke 
literally five minutes after he spoke to the team, yeah. came up the stairs. And soaking wet. Soaking wet into <laughs> the, uh, we're all the front office where we were. Yeah. And he gave a spiel and it was uh, just so awesome. And I, I think that just personifies why mm. we love this team and why we love just the, everything about it. Because they are just genuine. They're real. They are fun. They, you can tell that they love each other. There's no BS. I mean, the fact, you know, it was so much fun throughout the year to watch guys dump stuff over the, you know, the, whoever got the start of the game, uh, see how they're going to do it, when they're going to do it. And and it was always a daycare, although now the daycare, I guess they, they're almost like a middle school right now. <laughs> I know, that's right? true. They're growing up. They're growing up too uh, quickly. And now there's a new daycare of like <laughs> Rojas and Kirkering and some other guys. So, yeah. uh, But just th- this, the year has been, and I know we're going to go right into the playoffs, the year has been special. There's been so many great moments. I mean, you go to Michael Lorenzen's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, no hitter, and his family's crying in the in the stands. You go to Kirkring, sure. uh, Ryan Kirkring, who was at kind of not out of nowhere because he was a high draft pick, uh, but he rose quickly. And the fact that he's got this wipeout slider, and then his first appearance. He strikes out two guys and looks unhittable. Yeah. Right. And then somebody was quoted saying he's got the best slider in the game right now. Well, I thought it was telling that Rob Thompson pretty much after that game was like, yeah, I, I, he was basically saying, I've seen enough. He's going to be on the postseason right. roster. So, and then that seeing his family, you know, in tears just yeah. about that. And then the Weston Wilson, who can forget that, his first mm-hmm. at bat where he hits a home run. And then same thing, his yeah. dad's in tears. It just, it, it had a lot of heartwarming moments this season. Yeah. And I've never seen a bond, and again, we're getting into the playoffs, I've never seen a bond uh, in any sport, mm. and again, we've been following sports for a long time, yes. where a team and a city, mm. right? I know, obviously, the Eagles. Fans love the Eagles yep. and when they expect a Super Bowl win, but I think this is a little, I think this is more of a personal, because it's, I yeah. feel like our, our fans know these guys and no, and and that's you know, baseball too, they, John. It's it's a longer season. Longer season. They've they've just it's been every part night part of it. And then I think yeah. that whole Trey Turner yeah. situation where yeah, yeah. Jack Fritz has been getting the credit, and I think he was the one who who you know tried to get people to do the standing ovation, and sure enough, it worked. And then next thing you know, uh, boom, uh, Trey Turner's season and our season. Yeah. Uh, basically took, took off, off from there. Yeah, we're the the second best team behind the Braves uh, right. in baseball since like June second. Right. Know? So and, uh, and again, the fans. There's this, no fluke. There's this real symbiotic relationship between the fans for sure and the team, and it's just it's just a love fest. And and let's get into the playoffs for for an honorable mention. When when you think teams that bonded with the city, I'll throw out the 2001 Sixers. You know that right. remember people yep. went. Like it went crazy totally, when they yes. made that run. Well, you know? Allen Iverson. Well, yeah. similar because I, I think Allen Iverson basically yeah. represented Philly with the grit. That whole the, team did. and the underdog status, right? Yeah. And you've got a lot of those guys, the, the supporting cast. And I think you're right. You know, in our superstars, it's just like AI, mm. where he's you know grit and he gets uh, Philadelphia and he's a superstar, but yeah. he's just he's just going hardcore, right? He doesn't he doesn't have a off switch. He is you no know doubt. pedal to the metal the whole time. And then you got the, the again, just like that Sixers team, the ancillary cast where everybody, you know, loves all the different role players. Uh, and there's so many different role players. And in baseball, yeah. you need everybody in order to a winning team. If you think back to the no 2008 team, well, Eric Bruntlett had tons of big moments, right? Clay yeah. Condry had some big moments. You need yeah. a whole team uh, to have a championship team. Well, so it's, it's happening. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, before we get into the playoffs too, John, uh, we, I got to mention this too. We had the 20th anniversary of the closing of the vet uh, last week on September 28th. And uh, what a great day that was. I think it was Sal DeAngelis' uh, idea that, uh, hey, we took a, a front office photo in front of the vet on our last day in the office. Maybe we, recon- we can recreate that. He let Scott Brandreth know. Yeah, our resident critic. And uh, who's Scott? Yes. <laughs> well, Scott Brander took that idea and ran with it, yep. of course. And we had this great little uh, reception in the middle of the day. It passed. We had like though. 65 or so. Yeah, almost, I think 70. 70 yeah. people that, that worked at the vet. Correct. Right. On that last day are, are still here. That's uh, 20 years ago. And it was cool, too, because we, you know, when we first we walked in before taking the picture, they had running video of, yes. of that last game. Where uh, front office people took the uh, flags out, and then different alumni came out. In the post game uh, of the last game, right? Post game yep. of the last game, and it was uh, very emotional because again, mm-hmm. it brought back memories of the vet. But then we saw guys like you know, we we saw Real Cormier, yeah, and we saw Darren Dalton, and yeah. we saw guys we've lost, Vuk, and yeah, yeah, saw a lot, a lot of these Tugger, people. Tugger, right? And just uh, was uh, sad because you know we were friends with a lot of these guys, and yeah. and it meant it meant a lot to us. Uh, so. Yeah. I know. No, there were some tears flowing. Kelly Jurgen uh, yeah. in our office was uh, bawling like a baby. She was standing next to me as we were watching that video. And then uh, our buddy St- uh, Skip Denenberg, who right. uh, has you know who uh, wrote our great theme music, John. Uh, you know he he put that song together, uh, uh, Concrete and Steel, to highlight to the vet, and uh, it was great. And we went out, got our picture taken. We did a champagne toast. Dave Buck gave a nice uh, talk, and uh, that was awesome. And then we played that night. What I thought was cool is. We showed highlights of our party and then some highlights of the vet. They did concrete and steel video right. for the fans. And uh, it was pretty cool that, you know, if you came to the game that night, it's like you, you probably didn't know that it was a 20-year anniversary of the last game of the vet. But I love the fact that we recognized that. And both of us obviously worked very a long time at the vet. And we all had, you know, we have our individual memories, right, from as a fan growing up. Yes. Uh, my dad had season tickets for the Eagles game, so I went to – uh, when the Eagles were just terrible. So I just remember going with my dad and his friends, and, and Mike Brillo would be the quarterback, or Roman <laughs> Gabriel, yeah. right? And, and we'd lose 10-7 to the Cardinals because yeah. Jim Bakken kicked a 39-yard field goal. And but I'd, Bill Bradley would always get an interception. Right, right. <laughs> so, uh, but then also just working there, just so many great memories of yeah. you know catching fly balls uh, on the warning track at lunchtime, right, when yep. Mage McDonald would hit his uh, you know, shag fly balls and uh, – I think the one I had some weird memories that day because I don't know if you remember this or you don't remember this because I, I probably told you, but I remember Monday Night Football. Eagles are playing Monday Night Football. Our game had ended. I'm downstairs in our cubicle area. There's, it's now 11 o'clock at night. Nobody's around. Uh, I didn't see Chris Wheeler. He's doing his notes, but he was down there and I just didn't know it. I'm watching Eagles on Monday Night Football. The Eagles are lining up a 20-yard field goal to win the game, and I'm all excited. And all of a sudden, it gets blocked, oh, and they lose. The Cowboys game? It's the Cowboys. Yeah, I remember And that. they lose. And, again, I thought I was the only one down there. Yeah. And I had a suit on <laughs> with loafers. And I kicked the air, and I go, and I'm sure I cursed, you know, you know me. Right. And I and I kicked the air. My loafer goes flying up into the into the ceiling, and it hits one of those ceiling tiles that, that goes into the ceiling tile and flips back up. 
perfectly where it looks, you know, look, it's the regular ceiling, but my shoe's gone. My <laughs> shoes somehow got stuck up there with a ceiling tile that flipped back the right way. And next thing you know, I'm <laughs> Chris Wheeler pops his head out and says, Frazier, you okay? Because I screamed. I was <laughs> right, right, right. I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I, I lost my shoe. <laughs> so I had to go to the parking lot and go home with one shoe. You couldn't get up into the top. No, and there was nobody oh around at that gosh. point. It's 11 at night. So I went I went home with one shoe and came back and had to get the janitor that's, or somebody to go. That's an Eagles loss. <laughs> well, if the Phillies had lost, I wonder what you had done. But oh, right. my goodness. Yeah, well, so. good memories. Well, John, yeah, you were talking about the playoffs and a little behind the scenes of, uh, you know, that first game of the wild card series. Um, you know, part of your job certainly is uh, helping with uh, uh, first ball, ceremonial yep. first balls, promotion, promotion uh, yeah, and promoting that. And uh, <laughs> I know you made the radio rounds, and you really did cause a stir that morning. <laughs> especially my son, Andrew, uh, called me and said, hey, I, I just heard John on the, the radio, I guess probably MMR, and uh, he said, uh, you know, the first ball is going to be the most spectacular first ball pitch. <laughs> it'll be, it'll go down in history as the greatest first ball pitch. Uh, you will be talking about it tomorrow. And so he says, so who's, and so my son asked me, who, who's throwing the pitch? It was on page six. Of the I New said, York I don't Post. know. And then you wouldn't tell me. And then when I called you, you said, I can't tell you. I'm like, what do you mean you can't tell me? And, uh, but it was, it well, was awesome. But go ahead. Talk, right, so, talk about how that all came all right, about. So, uh, yes, we wanted to keep it a surprise uh, from everybody. One of the players, I think it was Jake Cave, asked uh, Jameson Haller, traveling secretary, who's throwing the first pitch. I couldn't tell Jameson. So Jameson couldn't tell Jake. So the players didn't no, know. I don't think. I, but, well, at least I know Jake didn't know. So, so who, I, whose idea was it? Do you know? I'm not sure, but who, uh, I'm not sure. Okay. I'm going to say it was John Middleton's idea. It might, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. but um, I'm not sure. Uh, but I think it was a great idea, emotional. So, Absolutely. So I did the radio rounds, and um, we purposely, usually we announce it. Like yeah. we announced Jamie Moyer. We announced John Cruck if, if we had a game three. Um, and we looks like we will announce going forward, unless there's some big surprises. Yeah. Um, but I we felt that we're going to keep this as a surprise. So going and doing all the radio runs, you know, yep. obviously the, one of the questions, because I'm talking about the – the block party, and I'm talking about the, you know, national anthem, talking yep. about the food items there at the ballpark. Well, the big one is, you know, first pitch, right? Sure. And so uh, I said it on all the stations. I said it on uh, the morning show in WIP, and they asked me, you know, who's throwing the first pitch? I said. Now, yeah. did you also uh, say that Jamie Moyer was throwing out no. game two? No. Okay, we, so, just, we were okay. focused on game one at that game point. Game one. Okay, yeah. So I said, and I, you know, I'm a promoter, right? So yes. I said, sure. I said, we are, you guys are going to love this first pitch, it's going to be spectacular, uh, and you guys are going to be talking about it the next day, right? And then he said, is it in the sports world or outside the sports world? And I said, within the sports world. Well, next thing you know, speculation is going crazy. My phone was just <laughs> blowing up. I had everybody from Ricky Patalico to, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, I had all the media members, and, right, right. and all of them were like, you got to tell me. I won't tell anybody. Well, I'm not going to tell anybody because – of course. So literally everybody, my family, I couldn't tell Jill. Right. I couldn't tell Charlotte. I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell, you know, Jake Cave. I couldn't tell whomever. We kept it totally quiet. I, I was, I was, and all of a sudden now, uh, the funny thing is Miles Teller, who I, as you know, I'm yeah. his handler. He, I meet him, you know, to come into the ballpark. He's grilling me with his dad and his cousin. And I held firm and they're guessing. And I said, I can't even tell you, can't deny or, or confirm. And, 
Next thing you know, hell, and then at that point, they're like, we don't want to know. So yeah. I went down to watch it, and I now I'm starting starting to get nervous because if it if we don't pull this one off, yeah. then then and that's it, what I was going to ask you. Were you ever it, nervous? Like, hey, maybe I just, went too far. Just at that point, okay. And I I was reading some of the stuff like this better be big. And the right. funny thing was reading the comments because like some of the comments were yeah. it should be Wally Gator, it yeah, should the be gator, the, yeah, it should be the, the canine dog that that uh, that found Calvicante, whatever the prisoner. Uh, <laughs> oh mean, my god! I mean there. There was just some really funny comments out there, uh, and yeah. But I, everyone, I think Taylor Swift was probably like the people because I use the word spectacular. Yeah. So I think that kind of raised expectations pretty high. So was I nervous? Yes, I was nervous only because I just wanted the. I wanted. I knew it was going to be spectacular in my mind because I knew it was going to be emotional. It was how many times have we ever had a player on the roster? Throw right. Who's right. throwing throw out the first pitch? And somebody's on the last year of his contract. Someone who just had an awful. Injury, someone that just, you know, who's a leader of the team, someone that means so much to the teammates and to the fans, right? And the highlight of the throwing the bat down when he hit the home run against Strider. It's a perfect choice. Now, again, probably perfect choice for us because we're all baseball guys, right? And we work here. But, you know, I guess by using that word spectacular, they're thinking it's going to be Sly Stallone or Taylor Swift. There's the... the the uh, fear is you're, you've set the bar too high, and you know I think Crossing Broad, the first guess was Sylvester Stallone, or you know there's Taylor Swift, right, right. and people go there. But meanwhile, John, it, it, Reese Hoskins throwing that out awesome. that first pitch uh, couldn't have, it couldn't have been better. Uh, Tom, it also brings me back. I don't know if you remember. <laughs> should I bring, should I retell I, that story? I love the story. You know when, when you <laughs> the the great ham man, and I told you the other day. I remember. Uh, after this hand story, I remember. Oh, uh, should we you, tell the story first? Yeah, go you? ahead. Go right, ahead. So, so this is a long time ago. We were looking for somebody to throw out the first pitch. We we're looking for a story. The team wasn't good. We weren't going to go into the Phillies vault. We we're going to go outside. And uh, I read a story where someone in South Jersey uh, had a fireworks accident and had his hand blown off. Yeah. And he had the first ever hand transplant. Hand transplant. In the in the world. Yes, I know. Right? First ever hand transplant in the world, and it was successful. And uh, we we thought it'd be a good idea to have. It was getting tons of publicity. We'll have that gentleman. I think he's a Philly. They showed him, you know, in a Phillies outfit. We're like, you know what? Let's get the guy uh, to throw out the first pitch. So for um, opening day. For opening day. So I did the media rounds, and uh, I don't know whether <laughs> I heard the story or I heard the story by my own voice in my own head. It was your own. It was voice my own in voice. Own and I, when I was, I guess I'm never, let, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. And when I went on the media rounds that, uh, to promote it, I said, yeah. <laughs> I said, it's always been his dream to get his hand well enough to have a first pitch with his kid. Yeah. And meanwhile, the more I said it, I was believing it myself, Yes. but I'm not sure. Then I started thinking like, well, Maybe did I read? I must have read it somewhere because, and then I kept <laughs> saying it right. So next thing you know, when when he was interviewed yeah. by all, I mean literally the the media met him at the airport, right? Because yes. he I don't he was coming from somewhere, uh, and they met him at the airport. And the first question was, you know, so I heard it's your this dream, dream yeah. it's your dream to have your hand, you know, uh, good well enough to throw out the first picture of your kid. And he has, and I'm sitting there like just I'm, just say I'm, yes, I'm, I'm yes, I'm dying. <laughs> and he said, and he just looked, he kind of had this like confused look, like. Yeah, I guess I. He yeah. had this look like, yeah, I think I did say that. It, and it he was said, my dream. He said, yes, it was my dream. And I remember standing there going, "This was John's dream." <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that was so funny. Well, and you were kind of early in your tenure with the Phillies, I remember. And I'm uh, the Michael J. Fox show was on Spin City uh, at that point. I'm like, 
John Brazier's uh, it could have been the Michael J. Fox character <laughs> in that in that show. John's gonna have a career here, I think. But uh, yes, your dream. John had a dream. Uh, all right. Well, I have a dream too, uh, John, and that is we got the playoffs coming up. We got the rematch uh, with the Braves, uh, and we're gonna talk to athletic re- uh, reporter, baseball reporter Matt Gill, who's been following this. Never team. had him on. We're gonna we run to talk about the last two days because yeah. we're, we're recording this on. Thursday, so obviously the Grand Slam, everything took place last night. Last night, and uh, we were going to talk about that with Matt, and then we'll also talk about the first game, which is Zach Wheeler just uh, pitched a gem. So can't awesome. wait to talk about that, and we will preview the upcoming Brave series. Best, Brave series, best of five. Sounds good. Let's bring Matt on. Hey guys. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I know uh, how much champagne and beer did you drink in the clubhouse? Everybody wants to know. Zero. It's not my party. I'm just on the side, and I'm not one of those people who's trying to get in the middle of that. It's, right. uh, my job is kind of to uh, watch and uh, talk to as many guys as I can, and uh, you know, they had a lot of fun. Did you have to change your shirt though? Did you get hit with you know some liquid shrapnel? <laughs> liquid I, did, I did get hit with a. I did get hit with a little shrapnel, and uh, I think one of my uh, the, one of the lessons I've really learned in these is that uh, the. The, the, the shoes, the footwear is really the key, and, and uh, the, the carpet gets pretty pretty rough inside the clubhouse. So my big thing is I put on a, an old pair of shoes without socks on, actually, when I go downstairs. So that uh, when I come upstairs, I can just uh, that, a take them off. And, uh, I was just going to say. wet that, socks. The worst thing is wet, wet socks. That's the worst feeling. That is a veteran move. Uh, now, you, you answered that as a journalist. You know, should certainly, but do you gain any satisfaction? You know, this is a team you've been, you know, watching for uh, and covering for a long time. Um, do you get satisfaction seeing them win and celebrate? And then this team, I mean, do you, is this one that um, you, you like, you know, maybe compared to other teams you've covered? I think my satisfaction comes from watching people find joy in this team, you know, fans and support staff. And, you know, people at the ballpark that I've known for years and years now, I mean, you guys, like you guys work for the team. I mean, it, this is, you know, something that is satisfying for you guys. And, you know, uh, it's not my, you know, necessarily my, you know, a triumph or victory, but I mean, these are people I work with every day, interact with every day. And when they're happier, uh, I think everybody is just in a better mood. And that's a great place to be. Seeing the atmosphere that we've seen, I mean, I, I think it, you know, it goes without saying how incredible it's been to just be a part of uh, even a small part as as I am just chronicling, you know, what is happening in the sort of this moment in this franchise. Uh, because yeah, I watched a lot of bad baseball as you guys did for a lot of years there. And uh, it's really incredible to see uh, how people have supported this team and the memories that they have made and really the personalities that have come out of this group. And that's been my thing is like telling the stories of these guys in this clubhouse, uh, who've really come together uh, and, and formed a bond with the city. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of 
the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. What was uh, we were, Tom and I were talking earlier with Reese Hoskins throwing at the first pitch? Um, what was the uh, reaction from the clubhouse uh, seeing their you know guy who's been obviously down all year uh, was a leader on the team is a leader on the team? Uh, what was the reaction from the team? I, I think they were just grateful that Reese got that moment uh, in this postseason because obviously he had some tremendous moments in last year's postseason and uh, they've missed him this year and. You know, remains to be seen whether he'll be able to contribute at all this year. It's obviously a long shot. They got to make the World Series, and even then, you know, there's questions of how Reese would fit on the roster, et cetera. But uh, to have that moment, I think, uh, was really cool. I thought it was a great idea, and uh, yeah, I think people were just happy that he had that. And you know, we'll see. Uh, we'll see if he gets another moment. Do you think you know, comparing this year to last year, certainly from a X and O standpoint or just a roster standpoint, um, it seems like we're in better shape going into uh, this postseason. But how about just team chemistry? Is it kind of a, a, a carbon copy of last year? It almost feels like it, right? I mean, I, I was laughing yeah. because during, you know, at the start of the season, and rightfully so, they're like, you know, this is a new year. This is not about last year. What we did last year was awesome, but we can't just always lean back on that and say it's going to happen again. And then as we got closer and closer, even as the season you know, we got into the summer and they started playing, uh, you know, some of the same songs again after the season because there's plenty of spring training. I think Thomas Schwarber was the one who said, you know, that's a second place song or that's a second place playlist, which he's right about. But as, you know, as it was a slow start again during this 2023 season, they kind of, you know, a couple guys decided that it was time to bring back some of those songs. And then, you know, as they get into postseason baseball, it's like totally leaning to just playing the hits again. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it was a really cool run last year, and it may not feel like it did last year because it was so surprising last year. Um, but I think what's cool is that it really is an extension of last season. And while it is different, a lot of those same feelings are coming back. And, uh, I mean, why not? Like, that was an incredible feeling last October and sort of the, the wave that they rode. And why not try to replicate that now? Yeah, I mean, there are different players, too, and it's pretty cool how um, this team kind of envelops, you know, the, the new players that come in just immediately uh, absorb kind of the great positive vibes. And, you know, you see Rojas and Pache and, you know, these guys yep. who just seem like they, they've been part of the team for a long time and they, they do bring some kind of a spark and are just now part of that team chemistry that's so good. And you know, right it's now. interesting, I, Matt, I was talking to – Jamie Moyer last night, and we were talking about that fact that, you know, the young guys being allowed to blossom, and Jamie was saying back in the day, you know, a lot of the young guys, they're, they're so, supposed to be seen, not heard, and they kind of almost like uh, have to earn their way in, and I think it's, I think the veterans for the team, both last year and this year, have really allowed the young players, whether last year, Marsh and Bohm Stott, um, and this year with guys Tom just mentioned, it allows, the environment allows guys to you know, be their personality and, and bring energy and, you know, which again, in the past, that wouldn't have happened. And, and, and a lot of that comes back to, you know, building the roster, but also knowing your people, right. Knowing who will fit here and 
Uh, to your point, John, like uh, the, the great national baseball writer from the Washington Post, Chelsea James, she had a great observation. She wrote in her story after game one, Phillies are in the dugout just right before the game is about to start. You know, everyone's building up and everyone's about to, you know, waiting for them to run onto the field. Zach Wheeler is going to lead everyone on the field. Well, uh, Bryce Harper is kind of near the top step and he motions for Johan Ross to come over and he tells Rojas, you know, to be the first one to run out and lead everyone out of the field. And, uh, you know, youngest guy uh, in the lineup, his first playoff game. And, uh, you know, Bryce has talked often about making these guys feel comfortable and wanting them to be themselves. And uh, it's a veteran team, right? But it's a team that I think has really benefited from some of that youthful energy and some of the new presence. And Rojas is a great example of that. I mean, he probably had the best at bat of anyone in game one, uh, his first playoff game. And uh, the little nugget that I unearthed is that he's the youngest uh, Phillies hitter to start in a playoff game since uh, the 1915 World Series. And now I'm forgetting the guy's name. I think it was Milt Stack, I think his name was. He played third base for the Phillies in the 1915 World Series. Uh, so they've really done a great job of finding the right people, not just in terms of on-field talent, but also of, of personality and making sure that it is a seamless transition from last year into this year. It is different, but it also does feel the same. All right, so we start the Braves, obviously, on Saturday, and we're talking about some of the young players. We saw how Rob used Jeff Hoffman in a big situation uh, in game one, and then Kirkering came, but Kirkering came in last night with a 7 nothing lead. Uh, what role do you see? Do you see Hoffman continuing to get highly high-leverage situations, and do you see could you see Kirkering come in and, let's say, we're trying to protect a 3-2 lead in the seventh inning, could you see Kirkering come in? Does Rob trust him enough, you know, when he's only really had three or four appearances in the major leagues? And let me just add one name to that. Christopher Sanchez has got to be a, a player in that uh, bullpen potentially too. So those three guys, yeah, how Rob's going to use them. No doubt. I mean, I think the righties, specifically Hoffman and Kirkering, uh, are, are, are going to play big roles in this series. They, they might be two of the more important guys in this mm. series because when you look at Atlanta's lineup, uh, you know, you're looking at an alliance that, that that really does well against lefties. They do well against everybody. I mean, they're one of the best offenses in the history of the sport, uh, but they do particularly well against lefties. And so I fully expect that Jeff Hoffman is going to be a guy who is asked to come into a game late to face the top of the Braves lineup uh, and, and try to get him out. He's got great numbers, some of the best numbers of any reliever in baseball this year against right-handed hitters. Uh, and I think he will be somebody that is trusted and used in huge spots in the series, probably time and time again. Uh, the way the schedule is, there's extra off days, and there's an extra off day between game one and two. So uh, the, the relievers are going to be able to pitch uh, quite a bit here, I think. So Perkering, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, <laughs> I, I think he's going to have a big role. And I think there's an element of surprise in most here because – Right, they haven't seen him. Uh, the Braves have not seen him. Right. And it's one thing to watch this, you know, tape of this guy and to look at the data and see how the pitch moves. Um, but it is a it is a slider that moves very differently than many sliders. It has this high spin rate. It has incredible movement, uh, both vertical, horizontal movement. If you want to really get into the weeds about it, it just moves like it's it, like a pitch that guys don't really see. And how they deploy Kirkering will be really interesting to me because of that element of surprise the most. You know, when do they decide to use him? How are they going to use him? I think he's going to get big spots. And, Tom, to your point about Chris Sanchez, he faced the Braves twice in September and held his own. 
Uh, that changeup that he throws is a really dangerous pitch against both lefties and righties. I can see him having a role in the series. I don't know what it is, but I think he's going to have a shot. Incredible. And Matt, I got to ask you, have you ever seen, John and I were talking about it earlier, have you ever seen a pitcher come up in the last, you know, two weeks of the season, he he makes one uh, appearance, uh, faces three batters, and basically the manager after the game is pretty much saying, yeah, he's he's going to be, you know, guaranteed a, a, a postseason uh, roster spot. I mean, have you ever seen anything like that before? The closest comparison time that I can think of is Francisco Rodriguez with the Angels mm. uh, in 2002. Uh, you know, K-Rod came up that year in mid-September, I think. You know, had a, had a couple outings in the majors. It was very clearly uh, a big-time arm and a big-time reliever. And he had a huge role for the Angels as they went on to win the World Series that year in seven games. And he was a guy that, that got used by Mike Sosha in various spots. Wasn't the closer, but he was a guy who came in middle innings, sixth, seventh, eighth innings. Uh, and got huge outs from them in the playoffs, and I, I could, I can envision a scenario in which Kirkring has that role now. If he has an epic postseason like K Rod did that year, then we're probably going to be talking about it forever, like we still talk about K Rod. So that would be a hell of a thing. Yeah. So it looked like in the uh, Marlins series, obviously they started two lefties. Uh, so you saw Pache uh, playing left field. Now it looks like the, uh, assuming the Braves go with uh, Chris Wright, uh, and they go with Freed, and they go with um, Strider. Then um, you're, are you assuming, making the assumption that uh, Brandon Marsh is going to be your set starting left left fielder? Yeah, so I mean, I'm I'm certain the Braves are going to start Spencer Strider in Game One. Um, you know, one of the best pitchers in the league this year. He's really done well against the Phillies, with the exception of his postseason start last year, in which he was he was definitely compromised. He hadn't pitched in almost 25 days, I think it was. He had an injury. He wasn't totally healthy. Uh, and, and it was pretty clear. But every other time he's pitching against the Phillies, he's, uh, he's been tough. And I expect him to go game one, and that would mean he could go game four. And I think in, Freed, in Philadelphia. Uh, yeah, in Philadelphia. Yeah. When, when he said Max he doesn't Freed, like big crowds in the in the stands, you saw that video, obviously, and I know he was, he was joking. I think he was being a little uh, – I think he was, he was doing his best – I think he was doing his best Larry Davis there. Oh, yeah. he was joking, but, but if you don't think that somehow they're going to play it up in the locker room or – Maybe even out on fan vision. That could be, you know, could be fun having Strider pitching in Citizens Bank Park. But yeah, to your point, I mean, this is a, we're going to see more of Marsh, and that makes him a better offensive team, uh, no doubt. You know, Max Freed is a lefty, and he's probably starting game two, and I would guess that Christian Pache uh, would be the left fielder for that game. But whenever Freed comes out, you'll see Marsh come in, pinch it for Pache there in that game. So Marsh is going to have a bigger role in the series. Uh, and I, I think that's good for the Phillies. He had a tremendous offensive year, uh, and he really hits righties. And he's going to get a lot of at-bats here against righties in the series. And will they go right or Elder for their third pitcher? Elder, I think. Bryce Elder is probably going to be their game three starter. They they would use Charlie Morton here, but he is out for the series. Uh, he had a finger injury that he suffered late in the season, and he definitely will not pitch any LDS. He's not eligible to be on the roster, so – Elder is a guy who had a really strong first three months of the season. Uh, Philly saw him in September and, and, and hit him pretty good. Um, he had some command problems late in the year, and that's definitely a, a questionable spot there for the Braves. What do they do with that third starter? Yeah. Uh, let's talk about, you know, we talked about the daycare. Uh, last year, you know, you had obviously Bone Marsh and um, Bone Marsh and Stott. And Stott, right. And, and the key was this year, can they continue to develop? And, they carried us while the superstars were 
were kind of uh, slogging, not slogging along, but a little, inconsistent. A little inconsistent. It was really the, the daycare, those three that, that really carried the Phillies. And I, you know, they were mentioning, Stott was talking in the clubhouse where he's really worked on strengthening his left hand, where he's uh, been writing with his offhand. He's been doing all kinds of stuff with his left hand, trying to build that up. And how about that at bat last night with the Grand Slam where, first of all, it was, there was a little bit of a delay, you know, uh, right before that. Um, and then first pitch, which Stott's not normally a first pitch guy. And I think they know that probably his Achilles heel is somewhere up high, so he swings under it. Well, he pitched up high and he he sent it way high. Mm-hmm. How about how about the development of Stott and some of the younger guys? It just really shows the maturation of him as as a hitter and just as a player too. You know, having a feel for that moment and trusting himself to take a first pitch swing there. You know, like the scouting report, it was pretty clear. It's like you can almost certainly throw him a fastball here, and you can just get up a one. He's not going to swing in the first pitch. If you throw a good fastball, you're going to be up a one in the count as a pitcher, and then you can go after him. Bases loaded, big spot. You just want to get strike one. And credit to Stop for having the confidence and then also the swing to be able to pull it off because it was 94, a little up, a little in. I mean, he really turned on that pitch. And uh, that's an element of his game we did not see a lot of last year. Uh, I think you could see him and say, look, he's probably going to grow into some power, probably hit for fastball, you know, hit fastballs better as he as he grows a little stronger and gets more experience. Um, we've seen such a leap in his game, though, this year from year one to year two. And I think that has been the most impressive thing. And that same can be said for Bohm and Marsh. Like, yeah. Bohm, you know, he we knew he has an advanced approach at the plate. We saw this rookie year in 2020. You know, we saw bits and pieces of it in the years followed, but he developed as a run producer this year. He really delivered with runners in scoring position. Uh, he drove the ball more. He ended up with 20 home runs. And you can, again, see him growing to even more power, you know, as, as he matures. And Marsh, you know, Marsh, among all hitters in baseball, like had some of the biggest year-to-year gains in both on-base percentage, hard hit rate. Uh, he had just so many more better at-bats. I mean, like when they got him last year, they weren't, you know, they knew he had to make some changes and they told him he's going to be a platoon player. And the expectation was, you know, bat nice, go run around center field, make the catch, you know, just do that. But he's made so many improvements to his game offensively that, uh, he really became an important part of their lineup this year. And, uh, you know, all three of those guys are younger players who uh, have, I think, solidified themselves, at least thought and boom, as everyday guys in the big leagues. I think Marsh has the potential for that. Uh, they really had great years. They really did. Yeah, and you look at all three. So Marsh, to me, is like the huge energy guy. You could just, you know, you could tell he just loves, you know, building people up. Uh, Boom! To me, if 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 there was going to be a situation where you're you know bottom of the ninth and tied up and you need someone to drive in a run, what I love about Boom is that when he when he needs power, when he needs to lift the ball like a sack fly to win the game, uh, he can obviously can do that. But when he just needs a single, he just he he'll take the ball where that where it's given and he'll go with it and just drive it up the middle, knowing there's a great chance of getting a hit. And how many times have you seen that? And then you go to Stott, and is there a better two strike hitter on the team than than Stott? <laughs> There's might not there's very few two strike hitters who are better in, right now in baseball, I think, than Stott. I mean he was up at the top. I think he led the majors in two strike hits this year. Um and he would say that too often he was getting uh, two strike counts and he would ding himself for that, but he's 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 very you know, he's pretty hard on himself and I, I think maybe that's one of the reasons why he's great. Uh 
they, yeah. I mean, that's the thing, John, about this lineup is that the Braves are the best lineup in baseball. There's no disputing that. Like, it's not even close. But then you start to look at the Phillies lineup, and you're like, this is a tough lineup to pitch to. This is a tough lineup to pitch to because it is deep. And then all of a sudden, you see, you know, Rojas batting ninth. And again, he had a great at bat in game one. And it's just, I don't know. It's a, it's a difficult lineup. And those younger guys have made it, you know, really just a long lineup. It is a hard lineup to pitch to because of those young guys and what they've done. You know, a lot's been made of the uh, crowds here in Philadelphia, and it can be an intimidating place to play. Uh, do you think there's an intimidation factor uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, the Braves coming to town or just facing this team? And what we did to them last year. Yeah, yeah. Is that in the back? Now, I know they're, you know, best team in baseball this year going into it, but, you know, maybe if it's, you know, we jump on them game one for, you know, it, maybe they're, we're in their heads a little bit, especially when they had come back here to Philadelphia. I don't know if it's so much an intimidation factor with regards to the Braves, but it, what it make, what it does is just makes it harder to focus, right? It's so loud. And especially for the pitchers and the infielders when they're trying to get, you know, they have this new device now. It's kind of in the, you know, it's in the guy's hat and he can hear it. And everybody jokes about when they come to the design park, they have to turn it up to the max volume. And even that, it's hard to hear it sometimes. So I think it just makes it harder for those, opposing players to focus now with the Marlins for example yeah I think it was intimidating I mean they those guys have never most of those guys hmm. with the exception of like Josh Bell who played for the Padres uh, in that NLCS last year they never experienced anything like that and you could tell that it it definitely got to some of those guys at some point the Braves when they come here they're going to be armed with the experience of last year they 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 know what it'll feel like that doesn't make it any easier to play in it, though. So I don't know if it's intimidation, but I think it's just yeah. it just makes it harder. It makes it harder to focus and to, to to stay within your game, right? Like you almost like feel like you have to like push yourself to be, you know, maybe do something that you shouldn't be doing. What kind of playoff atmospheres uh, in Atlanta, Truist Park? Is it is it? Uh, are, are, I mean, I always think out of brave fans. You know, they're fair. You know, they they're used to winning. I mean, is there any electricity in at those games down there, Matt? I've never been down there for a playoff game. Yeah, I think there is. Like, man, I think they. they I mean, like, they got great crowds all year during the regular season too. Mm. Uh, I, I think it's a tough place to play. Well, remember, for years, I mean, the Phillies would go down there after they opened that ballpark and. Uh, they did. They did not do well there, and, and I know some of those Phillies teams were, were certainly weaker than this. But I mean, they uh, there was an intimidation factor. I think at Truist Park for the Phillies, and I, I do think they overcame some of that last year in the postseason. But uh, it is a loud crowd. Uh, they do a lot of things with the lights there at night. Like Phillies have started doing that this year uh, at Citizen Bank Park. Right, right. But uh, yeah, I mean, they have their chance. Uh, they, you know, they they, they they're into it. Uh, but. Uh, you know, it's definitely not the same level, but I don't know if any place right now is at the same level as Philadelphia. I just, I don't, I don't think there's an atmosphere in baseball that's like Citizens Bank Park right now. So everything else is like 1A, 1B, whatever. You know, it's just not the same. Hey, Matt. Yeah, last year the uh, Dodgers and the Braves both uh, had layoffs, basically had uh, you know buys. And they waited, they waited, they waited, and then they get upset. One team gets upset with the Padres. We upset the Braves. Uh, how much of a factor do you think it is? Because I know uh, the Braves have been simulating games at their ballpark uh, with a the crowd. They're trying to, you know, again, simulate a game. But how much is, uh, is it an advantage maybe to the Phils that we've actually been right in the middle of two games, playoff atmosphere, we've actually played some real games, and they're sitting? How much, is that, how much of that is a factor? Huge, I think. Huge. 
I mean, and the Braves changed what they did this year because they felt like they didn't have an edge. You know, they felt like they lost an edge last year with the layoff. Now, that said, like, how much of an edge did they gain by playing these simulated games where they had, you know, some fans in the stands in the afternoon? It's not the same, obviously, as what the Phillies were doing for the last two nights. But um, clearly, because they changed something, they felt like they had, you know, that, that it was a problem, that, that the layoff was an issue. Uh, you know, I... <laughs> It, it definitely, it's definitely an advantage of the Phillies. Now, that said, the Braves have been reliant to pitching. You know, the Phillies aren't going to be able to use Zach Wheeler until game two, and Aaron Noll will not pitch until game three. So, naturally, by the Braves not playing this week, they have a better situated pitching situation. Uh, but, I don't know, there's something to being sharp. I mean, the Phillies have had to be on top of their game the last two days, and they're coming in with a little bit of momentum. What is, what is their Achilles heel? If you're going to beat the Braves, what is their Achilles heel? bullpen i think their bullpen is gettable i really do and they're not going to be you're not going to see the kind of lefties that we saw uh or that the marlins would have rolled out against the phillies the only lefties in the in the braves bullpen are going to be aj minter and brad hand uh, who we remember from last year of course and minter's a guy actually who's had a weird season lefties have hit him really hard uh he's actually been better against righties and he's been lefties and so then you're going to see brad hand get some big spots in this series probably against schwarber or harper uh, late in games, and while Hand has been good against lefties this year, uh, you know he's not exactly like the most reliable guy. I think at this point in his career. So, you know the rest of their bullpen. We've seen the Phillies get to Rysel Glacius, the Braves closer this year. Bryce Harper had a big home run off him, uh, of course, in Citizens Bank Park earlier this year. Their other setup guys, it's like Kirby Yates, Joe Jimenez, uh, Pierce Johnson, guys who are solid but not necessarily top notch, top stuff kind of lockdown relievers, this is where they can be beat, I think. Well, so does that mean that, because the last question for you, Matt, what is your prediction for the (laughs) National League Division Series between the Philadelphia Phillies and the Atlanta Braves? Can I do a cop-out prediction here? Because I don't know (laughs) if I have a prediction yet. My cop-out prediction is that that it goes five games. Wow, okay. I think the series is going five games, and I, I... you know, I, I don't want to make too much out of game one. I just, I really think if the Phillies can take game one, despite having a pitching disadvantage uh, with Strider on the mound and sort of a cobbled together thing for the Phillies, you know, po- probably a lot of Ranger Suarez, maybe some other guys mixed in. If they can take game one in Atlanta and steal that game, now you are in their head, right? And now you've got Zach Wheeler pitching game two. And if you take those first two games in Atlanta and come back home up 2-0, it might be a sweep. Like, I mean, that sounds crazy to say, but, I, you know. Well, Matt, too, in a game, the winner, yeah. and, and that game five could be Zach Wheeler because he would pitch two, which yeah. is Monday. The game yeah. five would be Saturday, so that's regular four days yeah. rest. So, And they yeah. went Strider yeah. would theoretically be four. So if it does, in your prediction, go five, then you're looking at Wheeler versus Freed. Exactly. And I think that's where the, you know, the extra off days do help the Phillies there. And is that, yes, Strider's going to be able to pitch one and four, but Wheeler's going to be able to do two and five. Well, John, what I heard is Matt Gelb is predicting a Phillies victory. <laughs> Woo-hoo! Woo-hoo! Thanks, Matt. We needed that, I, pal. <laughs> I, 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 I'll say I am really excited for this series. Nice. Yeah, like, it's going to be so. Either way, how, however it goes for the Phillies, uh, I, I think these are the two best teams in baseball right now. They obviously are, 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 are fierce rivals. They play each other a lot. They know each other really well. It's going to be a lot of fun. I really can't wait to watch these games. 
Yep, you and me both, uh, Matt. Sounds good. Uh, I know you're hopping on a plane tomorrow, right? Yeah, final tomorrow morning. So it's a workout Friday afternoon at Truist Park, and then game one of Saturday early evening. Well, 608, yep. 608. Well, uh, we love reading your stuff, Matt. I mean, it, it goes without saying. You are you're just so on top of it. Uh, you get stuff that nobody else gets, and uh, we love reading it, and uh, you just crush it. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right, Matt. Good luck. Safe travels and go Phils. We'll see you back at the ballpark uh, on Wednesday. Game you, three. you got it. All right, Matt Gelb. Thanks, Matt. All right, that was pretty cool, huh, John? And, yes, and we'll be back next time. We'll be discussing the preview of the Dodgers or yeah. Arizona Dimebacks. Let's take care of the Braves, John. Everybody out there, uh, put your Red Phillies gear on. Get fired up. Uh, the Braves are coming, and we're going to take care of them. And we'll see you next time on Phillies Backstage. Backstage.